to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. Uh, I've been working from home for a few months now. So like a lot of people, that means my days are spent writing emails and teleconferencing and binging an almost constant stream of Netflix and Hulu in the background. Normally, I listen to podcasts or music at my office. I don't want to distract my office mates. Um, But when working on the couch and my sweatpants is an option, why not throw on some TV, right? Now, I know everyone has their own Hulu binging strategy. For me, I tend toward comedies or children's cartoons, shows with simple plot lines and good humor that don't distract me too much from my work. Shows like Single Parents, which we just watched a clip from. If you've never seen the show, the premise is straightforward. You can probably guess from the title. The show follows a group of single parents as and their children as they support each other, parent together, and form this really great non-traditional family connection. It's funny and sweet. I totally recommend it to add to your work from home binge, even if you're like me and don't have kids yet. I'm sure I interact with the show much differently than someone who has or is or has been a parent might, but I still enjoy it. I watch Angie and Douglas trying to soothe baby Jack and laugh a little at their pain, empathize with them, the baby, and with my real friends who are parents and have probably experienced something similar. And then I breathe a sigh of relief for myself that I don't have to deal with any of that right now. Don't get me wrong, I love babies. They can be cute and cuddly and their heads can be so soft when you scratch them. I just don't have much personal experience with them. My family is small. My immediate family is just me and my sister. Even extended out, I only have three cousins who I'm close with, two of whom are younger than me. As a family, we're just now entering into the time of life when we might see our family start to grow, first through spouses or partners, and then maybe through kiddos, hopefully in that order, maybe not, who knows. um, But... I'd love to be an uncle or a second cousin or maybe a dad someday. Just not yet. Allie and I are super happy being newly married and baby free. We get to enjoy spending time with each other, figuring out what it means to be married. And the worst distraction we have working from home is the road construction outside. Well, It's actually our neighbor that is smoking his medical marijuana, but that's a different story. Plus, with years of schooling ahead for both of us, having children is a long time away. Right now, our best chance of hanging out with babies is babysitting for the Millers, which is great. Allie and I have both watched Roland and Aiden multiple times. We haven't gotten to hang out with Catherine much yet, but we'll get there. We love playing games and running around and doing all of the fun stuff, Then, when it becomes less fun, we can give them back, which is great. I remember a group of us went to San Diego last summer just to get out of Tucson for a bit. Allie and I volunteered to spend a day watching Aiden so Ryan and Megan could take Roland whale watching for the first time. Let me tell you, 
It was rough. As soon as the Millers left, Aiden started crying and proceeded to cry for nearly the entire time they were gone. For Allie and me, it felt a lot like the scene from Single Parents. Aiden was crying. We wanted to cry. We took turns holding him, walking all around our Airbnb, desperately trying to get him to sleep. Eventually, Aiden and I fell asleep together in a hammock, too exhausted to continue our crying and our pacing, you know, for like half an hour. This is us. It's really cute. It's hard to see, but that's Aiden's head and that's my head and we're sleeping and it's great for like half an hour because that's all you get, right? As soon as we woke up, we were back at it crying until Ryan and Megan came home and I gave him back. And guess what? Everything was immediately better. Not surprised. Aiden was happy, we were happy, and the trip could resume. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing as soothing as the presence of a safe parent. Allie and I are great babysitters. But when it comes to Aiden, we're poor substitutes for the real deal. The Millers babies are incredibly blessed to have two wonderful parents. They've learned that when they are in pain or need, Ryan and Megan will be there to comfort them. They can be secure knowing they're deeply, intimately loved. As soon as we're born, we start learning how to form relationships through the care of our parents. We're little potatoes, worse even than potatoes. We can't feed ourselves or shelter ourselves or even clean ourselves. Our survival is entirely dependent on our relationship with our caregivers. They have to do everything for us, meet our every survival need, and without them, we wouldn't make it very far. We need those early experiences learning how to form relationships not only to survive, but eventually grow and flourish into adult people. Unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily mean all our experiences with our parents are good. All our childhood relationships look different. Some of us are blessed to have really great relationships with our parents or with a different childhood caregiver, an older sibling, a foster parent or grandparent maybe, someone who made us feel safe and secure in their care. Someone who, when we cried, came to comfort us. However, others of us have extremely painful relationships with our parents. We learn really quickly that they were unreliable or maybe even dangerous. Rather than comfort, the presence of our parents brings us pain. For most of us, our experiences are a mixture of both. Our parents cared for us the best they could with the physical and emotional resources they had available. Sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they didn't. No matter what our experiences are, those early relationships define how we form intimate relationships throughout our lifespan. This theory in evolutionary psychology is called attachment theory. Attachment is the, the psychological and physiological process through which we learn to recognize our caregivers and other safe people, attach to them, and rely on them to meet our physical and relational needs. When a parent comforts us or protects us or feeds us, that action affects our bodies and our brains. Over time, we start to recognize this person is my person. Anyone else is a poor substitute. This morning, we're beginning a new teaching series called Attachment Disorder. We're really excited to bring this series to you and learn together a bit about how our brains work, how relationships work, and what that means for people who follow God. Attachment theory provides the foundation for what we'll be learning for the next three weeks. 
you might be thinking to yourself, a psychological theory might sound like an odd topic for a church teaching series. It might seem more appropriate for a lecture hall or counseling office. However, forming relationships is central to God's vision for our lives. As Christians, we are called into intimate relationships with each other and with God. We're designed for it. In the garden, God said to Adam, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Then God made Eve and the first family came into existence, the first community. They formed an intimate relationship with each other, provided for each other's physical and social needs, and it was good. It was beautiful. They felt secure and safe in the presence of each other and in the presence of God. Then sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve ate fruit from the tree which God had forbidden. Satan cast a doubt on God's goodness, provision, and love. Everyone started blaming each other. Eve made me do it. The serpent made me do it. Suddenly their relationship, their attachments weren't so secure anymore. They felt anxious, hiding themselves away from God and each other. When the kingdom is functioning as intended, we can feel safe in the presence of God and the loving community of God's people. We can form secure attachments knowing that our physical, relational, and spiritual needs will all be met. Then we can grow, we can flourish, and we can joyfully meet the needs of others, equipping them to flourish. Our community grows and the kingdom flourishes. That all starts with secure attachment. A flourishing relationship with God and others starts with secure attachment. However, when our attachments are disordered, they present barriers to forming those life-giving relationships. We feel isolated, alone, and ill-equipped to overcome the challenges of life. Our very survival comes into question, let alone growth and flourishing. We're overcome with anxiety and the need to hide our authentic selves. Both our connectedness to each other and our connectedness to God suffers. None of our relationships are perfect. We've all been hurt or let down by someone we're attached to. Those experiences stay with us. We learn from them and strategize how to protect ourselves from pain in the future. We become codependent or isolate ourselves or live our lives in constant fear of rejection. Our attachment styles separate us rather than bring us together. That applies to God too. Our attachment styles affect our relationship with God. When we talk about our attachment to God, we're talking about faith. It's the intimate relationship between us and our heavenly father, our divine caretaker. He meets our needs. This is from Matthew 6, 31 and 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. God protects us from harm. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. And God loves us unconditionally. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Amen. First John four, seven through eight. God is unfailing. He is the only one perfectly capable of meeting our needs. Yet we have a hard time even imagining an unfailing relationship. We take our experiences with other people and 
apply them to God. We isolate from him or fear his rejection or work unceasingly to earn his affection for us. When we do that, we cut ourselves off from the depth of relationship God desires for us. We miss out on the unhurried, peaceful and secure love of God. A flourishing relationship with God starts with secure attachment. The hope for this series is to help us move from insecure attachment to secure attachment, from disordered faith to faith that is rooted in the unfailing, perfect love of God. To get there, however, we must start where we're at. We have to identify what our attachment styles are and how they play out in our lives. In psychology, we think of attachment as a graph with two axes or spectrums. We like spectrums in psychology. The spectrums of attachment come from research in the late 1950s by Mary Ainsworth. Her work is really fascinating stuff if you're interested in childhood development. I'll just give you the SparkNotes version, though. Her research team invited mothers and babies into their laboratory and observed how the babies interacted with their mothers, with strangers, and then when left on their own. They wanted to see how the babies behaved in new and stressful situations. From their observations, the research team identified two basic categories of behavior, which we're calling the spectrums of attachment. These two spectrums shouldn't be all that surprising. I've already introduced them to you in some of the language I've been using this morning. On one axis, we have anxiety, anxious to non-anxious. Anxiety is a measure of how fearful the child appears to be both with their parent and during the stressful conditions. It was evaluated by how adventurous the child was in exploring its unknown environment and the extent to which they expressed emotional distress when separated from their mother. The second axis is avoidance. Avoidance measures the child's willingness to seek out their attachment figure, in this case, their mother. In stressful situations, the most advantageous behavior for the child would be to seek out their parent for protection. However, not all babies do that. They might perceive their attachment figure as equally unsafe or never have learned to rely on them in the first place. For whatever reason, they remain isolated, hesitant to seek out their parents for comfort and safety. Together, these two spectrums, anxiety and avoidance, form a graph. Our attachment styles can fall anywhere within the four quadrants of that graph. They are representations of how we behave in intimate relationships. For example, in the Adam and Eve story I told earlier, when their attachments became insecure, they demonstrate behaviors from both spectrums of attachment. First, they felt anxiety. They became fearful of their nakedness, their vulnerability, and of God's ability to love them. So then they avoided relationships. They hid their true selves away from God and from each other. However, by performing those behaviors to protect themselves, they cut themselves off from intimacy. Again, a flourishing relationship with God and others starts with secure attachment. The first quadrant on our graph is secure attachment, but that's not where I want to focus the rest of our time this morning. Remember, the goal of this series is to help us move from insecure attachment to secure attachment and secure faith. A large part of our relationship with God involves unlearning and healing from unhealthy attachment strategies. So we're going to look at attachment in the other three quadrants. At their most extreme, attachment styles in these quadrants significantly hinder our relational abilities. 
Psychologists call them attachment disorders. While not all of us have an attachment disorder, all of us have experienced pain in our intimate relationships. Pain that, over time, can teach us unhealthy relational strategies. Understanding attachment disorders will help us understand our own behaviors better and the areas which we might need to grow. The best way to understand attachment is through self-reflection. We'll start by looking at some examples. If this were a psychology class, we would just watch a bunch of videos of babies and talk about them. Some of us would love that, I'm sure, um, but others of us want nothing to do with them, and that's okay. Because our focus is faith and our attachment to God, we're going to continue using biblical examples to illustrate disordered attachment. We already looked at one story, the fall of man, but the Bible is full of stories we can use to examine various strategies people use to relate to God. None of those relationships were perfect. We want to look at the stories of real people using their experiences and limited resources to pursue God the best they knew how. The entire narrative of the Old Testament tells the story of a nation chosen by God to live in relationship with him. That is why the Israelites are the perfect example for us to learn from. This is especially true during the time they spent in exile immediately following the trauma of slavery in Egypt. They spent decades journeying with God in the desert, learning what it means to be secure in him. They got it wrong more often than they got it right. Their insecure attachments got in the way of their relationship with God, same as ours. At this time in their history, the Israelites had been around Egyptian gods for so long that they had a hard time even imagining a perfect, unfailing God. This they consistently took the strategies they learned to protect themselves during their slavery in Egypt and applied them to God, cutting themselves off from the intimate relationship he was trying to cultivate with them. Their story profoundly demonstrates insecure attachment and what it takes to develop secure faith. First, starting at secure attachment on our graph and moving clockwise is preoccupied attachment. Preoccupied attachment is characterized by low avoidance and high anxiety. Another word we might use to describe this kind of attachment is codependency. Preoccupied individuals frequently worry about the stability of their relationships. They fear the pain of abandonment and cling close to their attachment figures so as not to lose them. They work hard to earn love, capitulate to the needs of others at the cost of themselves, and become anxious even after only short periods of separation. People with preoccupied attachment are uncomfortable by themselves. They struggle to meet their own needs and overly rely on the help of others to survive. When they do lose an attachment figure, preoccupied individuals typically find a new person to attach to quickly, moving from relationship to relationship without forming deep, intimate connections. Preoccupied faith looks similar. When our attachment to God is preoccupied, we become more concerned with doing things for him than forming an intimate relationship with him. We fill our time with individual devotions, Bible studies, volunteer hours, and acts meant to earn God's love and approval. We fear that God is not perfectly faithful. We're anxious that if we do not work hard enough or fail in some way, he will abandon us. In fact, if we believe ourselves to be great enough failures, we might leave God, working hard to earn the love of a different God or self-actualization or some other form of religious validation. 
In any case, our relationship with him remains shallow and hurried. We wear ourselves out from effort instead of resting in God's unforced abundance. In a way, the Israelites experienced something similar. After escaping Egypt, they wandered in the desert for a long time. God was with them, guiding them, and speaking to them through Moses. He provided for their every need. He protected them from Pharaoh's armies, fed them, and led them safely through the wilderness day and night. Eventually, God invited Moses to join him on the top of Mount Sinai, where they could deepen their personal relationship, and God could relay his ultimate vision for the Israelites. Moses agreed. He went up the mountain and left the rest of the Israelites to worship and rest from their long journey thus far. We'll pick up the story in Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It only took a short time of separation for the Israelites to feel abandoned. They were accustomed to appeasing fickle gods who would abandon them for the slightest offense. They used the attachment styles they learned from their experiences in Egypt and applied them to God. Work hard to earn a God's favor until you lose it and then try a new one. They could not imagine a God who would remain faithful. They demonstrated high anxiety. Moses, like their spiritual leader, left them. God appeared to have left them and they were afraid. They were afraid to be isolated in the desert with no one to protect them. After years of disempowerment, they could not survive on their own. As soon as someone offered them an alternative, they took it. That's low avoidance. They desperately asked for a new attachment figure, a new God to protect them. They could not stand to be alone when it was uncertain whether God or Moses would return. Do we believe in God's faithfulness? As we work our way through the different attachment styles and learn from the Israelite stories, I want to make sure that we take time to reflect. I want to give us the space to consider which parts of the Israelites experiences resonate with us. Some of us might relate most with this style of attachment. Are we tired? When we're alone at night, can we enjoy that time? Or do we rush from one activity to the next without slowing down? Do we feel like we have to earn the love of those closest to us? The next quadrant on our graph is fearful avoidant attachment. This attachment, this is attachment that is both anxious and avoidant. Fearful avoidant attachment typically forms when attachment figures are inconsistent, vacillating between safe and abusive. Individuals with fearful avoidant attachment are caught in between their fear of others and their fear of being alone. They long for the comfort of intimate relationships. They understand that relying on others can be beautiful and are tired of carrying their burdens alone. They might even be afraid of surviving alone. However, like preoccupied individuals, those of us with fearful avoidant detachment are hypervigilant to signs of threat. They've experienced pain in their relationships, so they avoid them. The risk is too great. 
relationships feel unsteady when every action could precede an attack and the possibility of betrayal constantly looms in the background. When relationships get hard, people with fearful avoidant attachment leave. They hide themselves away, protecting their most valuable, their most vulnerable selves. As such, relationships, uh, as such, relationships can feel inauthentic and even more isolating. Fearful avoidant faith can also feel inauthentic and isolating. In the same way we hide our vulnerabilities from others, we hide them from God. We might listen to the sermons on Sunday or go to the Bible studies, but when it comes time to do the hard work of cultivating faith, we hesitate. Fear takes over, fear that tells us God is not perfectly good. We might see God as angry or vengeful, or perhaps we've experienced the shameful condemnation of an intolerant church community, one that was meant to demonstrate the love of God. If we were to be vulnerable with that kind of God or that kind of church, they would take advantage of us, targeting our pain and weakness. So instead, we hide ourselves away. We cut ourselves off from the risk of pain, and in so doing, we cut ourselves off from the possibility of love. We remain isolated, paralyzed by anxiety and fear. The Israelites' long exile in the desert illustrates this kind of anxious isolation. After 40 years of wandering, the Israelites finally arrived at the promised land. They had more or less successfully completed their journey with God, learning to rely on him and cultivating an intimate relationship with him in the process. God led them to the promised land and told them, you're ready. You're ready for the next step for a deeper relationship with me and for the flourishing life I promised you. It will be hard, but worth it. However, when the time came for the Israelites to start the next part of their relationship with God, they hesitated. This is Numbers 14, one through four. Then the whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. The Israelites feared that God was not perfectly good. The promised land felt like a trap. Even after decades of journeying with God, they still viewed him as a threat, as someone capable of betraying them at any time. They saw the challenges they would face in order to deepen their relationship with him and flourish, something they desperately wanted for so long. However, they deemed them not worth the risk. In the minds of the Israelites, the fear of pain and death outweighed any promise of flourishing, even though they knew it was better for them. So they turned around. When the relationship became difficult, they left. They avoided deeper intimacy with God, choosing instead to remain isolated in the desert for another 40 years until they eventually died without ever entering the life they were promised. The attachment strategy that they hoped would protect them instead cut them off from God and a flourishing relationship with him. We have to ask ourselves, do we believe God is good? Are we constantly watching for signs of threat, signs that will be hurt if we let, other, let ourselves be vulnerable with God or the people closest to us? 
think about our relationships. What relationships used to be a significant part of our lives, but are no longer close? What happened? Did our fear cause them to remain shallow or fall apart? The last attachment style on our graph is dismissing avoidant. Attachment in this quadrant has low anxiety but high avoidance. Individuals with this attachment disorder often present as unhealthily self-sufficient or self-reliant. They may not view this as a problem, having survived sufficiently on their own for some time. However, all they are capable of is surviving. Avoiding intimacy prevents us from growing and flourishing. Dismissing avoidant individuals do not ask for help or value relationships. They provide for themselves, protect themselves, and overcome life challenges alone, exhausting themselves in the process. Without anyone to share their burdens, they have little energy for flourishing and little time for rest. Nevertheless, relationships are regarded as unnecessary. People with dismissing avoidant detachment are neither anxious to be alone nor with others. However, experience taught them that they can only rely on themselves. No one will comfort them when they cry, protect them when they're in danger, or provide for their needs. Not even God. Dismissing avoidant faith is characterized by the belief that God is not sufficient. His provision is not enough. The only people we can rely on to meet our needs are ourselves. Relying on God leaves us vulnerable and weak. We don't like that feeling. We don't like surrendering control of our needs to God, even though he will perfectly meet them. So we do anything we can to remain self-sufficient. When life is going well and we appear to be surviving, we credit our own abilities instead of praising God. We tell ourselves that we worked hard, we achieved our goals, and we did it all on our own. We didn't need help from God or anyone else. Yet, when we begin to struggle and face challenges we cannot overcome through our own abilities, we blame God. We take our personal insufficiency and use it as evidence that God does not adequately provide for us. In both cases, we miss out on the abundant blessings he provides. Like most of the Israelites' lessons, they learned to rely on God's sufficiency the hard way. Immediately following their flight from Egypt, the Israelites had sufficient food and water for the part of the journey. They were able to pack leftovers from their Passover feast and other provisions before leaving. However, over time, their food stores ran out. While wandering through the wilderness like they were, it would have been incredibly difficult to find food. The Israelites were just normal people. They weren't all Discovery Channel survivalist people. Um, maybe some of them were like the <laughs> Israelite Bear grills, But for as a whole, surviving in the desert for decades was beyond what they could achieve alone. Not surprisingly became difficult, the Israelites blamed God for allowing them to starve. However, despite their complaints, God still provided sufficient food for them in the form of manna. He made sure there was enough manna for every person to eat daily. This is what we read in Exodus 16. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. They, these are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. They measured it out. Everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. 
Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Despite God's constant provision, the Israelites still had a hard time believing that he is sufficient. They went out to gather extra food on their own terms and through their own strength. Ultimately, their effort proved futile. Not only did they fail to achieve their original goal of sustaining themselves, they missed out on what God was actually doing. They spent the evening toiling and exhausting themselves fruitlessly when they could have spent it resting. I like that verse 18 ends with each family had just what it needed. It highlights God's invitation to the Israelites and to us. He invites us to rest in his sufficiency so we can direct that energy into cultivating intimate relationships with each other. And with him, we can build families and community. When we avoid relationships, we miss out on that invitation and the possibility of joining God's vision for a flourishing community, the kingdom of heaven. Do we believe in God's sufficiency? Are we able to ask for help or rely on others to support us? Are we willing to be our real selves around people or do we feel the need to hide? Do we have at least one person nearby we could call in times of distress? As we wrap up this morning, I want to invite you to continue with self-reflection this week and throughout this series. It might feel like I asked a lot of questions and didn't give a whole lot of answers. That's because I want us to take time to sit with these questions and examine what they mean for our lives. Relational intelligence like this is going to require some work. It requires introspection into our past experiences, our behavioral patterns, and our ways of thinking. It can be painful. All of us carry relational and emotional scars. I want to encourage you to engage with this process the best that you're able. All of us are in different stages of personal growth and our relationship with God. If you would like more resources about faith and intimate relationships, the inspiration for this series comes from a book called I Would Like You More If You Were More Like Me by John Ortberg. It's a bit of a weird title. I know it doesn't really tell you what the book is about, but it's really good. It talks about faith and intimacy, how they relate to God, and how we can deepen our relationship with him. Another book you could check out is Boundaries by Drs. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Insecure attachment is exasperated by poor boundaries. Part of healing and learning security is developing boundaries that still protect us while allowing space for intimate relationships with safe individuals. Both of these books are great places to start and are available for $5 through the DR Bookstore. If you're interested, let us know in the comments section of our communication form which book you want to buy, and we will find a way to get it to you. It's a little weird. We don't have a physical bookstore right now because we're not in person, but just let us know and we will make sure to get you the book. Of course, the Bible is a great resource as well. We spent all morning looking at the Bible and how it relates to relationships and intimacy. It's God's primary tool for teaching us how to relate to him. A transcript of my message will be made available to you where you can view all of the verses I referenced this morning. Take some time this week during your personal devotionals or meditation to pray and read over the promises of God in scripture. If scripture memorization is helpful for you, pick one or two to memorize. The goal is to internalize the truths 
of God's character. He is faithful, good, and sufficient. We can feel safe and secure in his abundant love for us. Of course, if any of this process is too difficult for you to engage with right now, that is okay. We have to start where we're at. All of us have different experiences as well as physical, emotional, and relational resources. Growth is a gradual process. We don't have to do everything at once. We also don't have to do everything alone. It is okay to ask for help. Aspects of this work can and probably have to be done by ourselves. No one can do the work for us, but we can support each other as we grow. Reach out to close friends or family, people you trust to support you well. If you don't have anyone like that who you can turn to, please do not hesitate to reach out to someone on staff here at DR. There are some wonderful people here who would love to talk with you, help how we can, and connect you to other resources. Some of us might also need the help of a trained counselor in this area. There is nothing shameful about seeking psychological help, especially in the world we're currently living in. Attachment disorders are real and debilitating. Some of us might truly have a disorder. There are professionals who are equipped to help you, especially if you feel you have nowhere else to go. There is hope here. If you take anything from my message this morning, it is that you are not alone. There are people who love you, even if they get it wrong sometimes, and a God who loves you unfailingly. We do not have to live our lives afraid or isolated. Secure attachment is neither anxious nor avoidant. We can enter into relationships freely and with joy. We healthily rely on others to help meet our physical and relational needs, and then we help provide for their needs in return. Secure relationships are not characterized by fear. We courageously overcome the risks of pain, demonstrating to others our authentic selves. We're free to take risks, explore the world, and flourish. A flourishing relationship with God and others starts with secure attachment. That is what we're working towards in this series. We do not have to stay insecure. Our past pain does not need to define us now. We can heal and change and grow. Megan Miller will help us explore how next week. In the meantime, I want to encourage you again to take time to self-reflect. Identify where you are and where you would like to grow. Pray, meditate on God's promises to us and reach out to those who love you. Let's work toward healthy, secure attachment together. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning, for the wonderful words you've given us through the Bible. Thank you that we can rely on you so perfectly that you are good and faithful and secure. We, our prayer is that we can learn to engage with you more, relaxing into your abundance, Father. We pray, amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.